And over the last three weeks, including today, we've been spending time in the Gospel of Mark, chapters 3 and chapter 4. And really, these two chapters is one day in the life of Jesus Christ. It takes place in one day. And a lot has gone on that day. It starts off with healing and crowds pressing in on Jesus and more healings and teachings and crowds getting larger and larger and larger. So large that the, the powers that be, if you remember correctly, accused Jesus of being possessed. And then after that, the crowds kept getting bigger, and they, somebody said, Jesus, to his family, y'all need to come out here. Your son is losing his mind. And then there's this family quarrel. And then Jesus keeps get teaching, and there's larger crowds, so large that Jesus then takes, gets into his boat all right offshore so he can have some space and teach. And he teaches to, his, um, to everyone in parables. And that's where we end last week, and that's where we begin this week, at the end of the day, after this long day of teaching and healing and trying to demonstrate the kingdom of God and of quarrels and accusations and more teaching, Jesus is in his boat and he looks at his disciples and says, let's go to the other side. A day of exhaustion. I invite you now to listen to the word of our Lord. Again, it comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day when the evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, they woke him up and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled, filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I grew up listening to Carolina Beach music. That was the, the, the music choice at our family's house, my mom and dad. They taught us all how to shag at an early age. We went on family vacations. The children actually got to choose the music that we listened to on the family vacations and the car ride. But there was one catch. You could choose from any of these 24 cassettes that were all beach music. I want my kids to have some of that tradition and, and know what beach music is about. So we took them to hear some beach music last Thursday. And as I sat there listening to Chairman of the Board play, I began to think about all the different songs that had ocean or sea or docks or beach listed in the titles. The, the songs I came up with are, are endless. Um, there are some of the beach music favorites by Chairman of Board themselves, um, On the Beach and Beach Fever. Then there's Band of Oz sings Ocean Boulevard, Fantastic Shaker sings uh, a song about Myrtle Beach Days. Then there are the, all the oldies. Sea Breeze, and Sea Cruise, and the Land of the Sea and Sun. And we can't leave out Little Mermaid, uh, Under the Sea. 
nor can we leave out all of Jimmy Buffett's favorites. And now Kenny Chesty's into that mix. But one of my favorite songs, when it comes to ocean, is by the Zac Brown Band, Where the Boat Leads From. The song, I believe, captures what all of these songs are trying to say. The song begins, there's a place where the boat leads from. It takes away all your big problems. The worries, you can drop them in the big ocean, but you got to get away where the boat leaves from. I wonder if this was the tune the disciples were singing that day. When Jesus said, let's take this boat and go out to the other side. After a day of crowds pressing in on Jesus. After Jesus taught and healed and demonstrated the kingdom of God. After a day that Jesus did all of that, but also was accused of being possessed. After a day that was also filled with family quarrels and then more teachings, the passage says that Jesus was tired. That's what it means when it says that Jesus was as he was. He was exhausted. And this is what it means to be fully human and fully God. And this is what it means to be part of God's grace, that through Jesus Christ, God knows our exhaustion. We've had all days like Jesus. We've been worn down by the crowds. It's Friday afternoon. Maybe the week wasn't a bad week. Maybe it was actually sort of a good week in some ways. Just busy. Lots of demands. The crowds were asking for our time. They're asking for our opinion. They're asking for our advice. But in addition to that, we had the family drama. Perhaps a teenage son came in yelling, a sick parent, an argument with a spouse that didn't go very well, things said that should have been said. On top of that all off, you're bored, your boss, your co-workers. It felt like they're just pressing in on you a little bit. Didn't give you much imagination, much space. It's Friday afternoon, and all we really want to do is go where the boat leaves from and drop all of our problems in the big ocean. But in the Bible, the ocean is not a place for us to forget about the world. The sea actually represents chaos. It's where our discipleship is challenged. Boundaries are impassable. Life hangs in the balance. And right there, in these short six verses, is the entire drama of our faith and the truth of our lives. Because the chaos of the sea, that loss and the pain and the confusion and the despair and the tragedy is always looming around. And no matter what we think, there is no place that we can go to drop them. Forget about them. It's a force of order that leaves everything broken and shattered. And it turns out the Bible knows this well. 
So throughout the, the whole scope of the Bible, the Bible is concerned and very preoccupied with chaos. A lot more than sin or guilt. Not that sin or guilt are unimportant, my mentor uh, told me once. But actually, we can talk a lot of creative ways to approach sin or guilt. But storms? Chaos, the sea, is never controlled by us. And knowing all of this, Jesus gets into the boat and goes to sleep. I'm not sure about you, but it seems that's when I am tired, that when I am in the middle of all the chaos of my life, it seems like that is when the storms hit. And that's exactly what happened that night on this small boat that represents our life. The waves come crashing in. There's so much water coming in. They lost control. Things were looking bleak. The ship and everybody in it was going down. Perhaps we've experienced a storm like this. We're in a boat and we think, and please, Lord, just let us get back to shore. And we're holding a steering wheel 10 and 2, cursing ourselves for driving in such weather. We're sitting inside, listening to a hurricane beat up against the walls of our house. And even if we haven't experienced a storm, a weather storm like this, we have experienced storms like this before. Everything that we try to do does not work. The waves keep beating and beating and beating against us. The water keeps getting higher and higher and higher. This chaos, a big storm, and straining without success. We all know what that feels like. No matter what we do, those bills that just keep coming and coming and coming and coming. That bad diagnosis. It's time. It's time for him to go to the nursing home. That addiction that I said wasn't real, it's real. The pressure of work just doesn't end. There's seasons in every one of our lives where there is a storm and the straining and an absence so painful that we do not think that anyone cares or that anyone sees us drowning. Even God. Which leads us to the first question of our text this morning. Do you care that we are perishing? Notice what they did not ask. After spending not only a day with Jesus, but quite some time now with Jesus, after watching Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law, heal a leper, uh, make a paralytic walk, after all the miracles they have seen, they did not ask Jesus to fix the issue. They did not say to Jesus, wake up, wake up, there's a storm, fix it. Instead, they ask, do you care? question that we 
all want to ask. It's a question that we live for the answer for. Does God care about us? More specifically, does Jesus see me? It's interesting that many of us come to follow Jesus, believing that once we come to follow Jesus, the storms will stop. But it's when we begin to follow Jesus that we realize that Jesus does not stop the storm, but stands up in amongst the midst of them. So Jesus wakes up. Peace. Be still. Which leads us into the second question of our text. This time it's asked by Jesus. Why are you afraid? As overwhelming as the Bible is concerned about storms and chaos, it's equally concerned and focused on fear. I believe what the Bible knows that when we're in a storm and that when we are afraid, we never make our best decisions. So God gives us God's oldest promise that's been spoken from one storm after one storm after one storm, years after years after years, generations after generations. Do not fear. I am with you. Do not fear. I will help you. Do not fear. I have been redeemed. I have redeemed you. Do not be afraid. Why are you afraid, Jesus asks. And this is why these six verses, the circle of our life. So look into our faith. Our faith does not ask the question if we believe that Jesus gets into our boat. Our faith is the, the way that we see Jesus in our lives. How do we see Jesus in the boat? Jesus is not joining our boat because we ask Jesus to join the boat. Jesus doesn't join the boat because we deserve to be for Jesus to be in the boat. That, he doesn't join because we said the right prayer, or we did the right things, or followed the right steps, or acted a certain way, or earned it. Jesus gets into our boat for one reason, to save us. Reflecting on this passage, Craig Barnes, the president of Princeton Seminary, writes that Jesus cast out our fear by giving us the perfect love. It's what's described in 1 John we read a few weeks ago. This is the only way for us, for our fear to be removed. This is what a parent does when a, a child has a nightmare in the middle of the night. The parent runs into the room, puts a child in their arm, and it holds them tight without having to say a word. The child eventually stops crying. The child eventually goes to sleep. How did the parent do it? With love. The parent simply reflect, reflect, deflected the child's fear to the love of the parent. It's interesting that throughout the whole Bible, we are told not to fear, except to fear God. It says we should fear God. 
I believe the Bible wants us to fear God, not out of judgment. Not thinking that we won't get someplace. That was all resolved on the cross. But instead, we fear God's love. We fear a God that knows our exhaustion. We fear a God that loves us so much that God is willing to get into the boat of our life with us, even knowing a storm is getting ready to hit. This love, when it is redirected from our fears, this type of love can only do one thing. It can change us. And I think that's our biggest fear to be changed by such a love. So we look at the fear ahead of us or the fear of God's love changing us. Which leads us to the third question. Who is this? Who is this? The disciples asked. Without saying a word, Jesus has already answered the question. Don't you know my presence and my promise? It's the antidote to the storm. I am the creator of heaven and earth. And this chaos, this chaos in your life is really, really interesting to me. So interesting. I'm going to sit among you. But no, make no mistake about it. It's no threat. Interesting, yes, but no threat. One evening, years ago, a renowned Polish pianist, Ignacius Parversky, was set to play a concert hall. You could probably picture the scene. Everyone was in tuxedos and nice dresses. Uh, the kind of place where folks played really, really big bucks to get into, and, and no one would dare move or speak until the appropriate time as if somebody from backstage was directing the entire crowd. And that evening, uh, like all the other evenings, people came well-dressed, and they waited pa- patiently for Brodowski De- to make his way to the stage. Almost everyone, except for one boy, one seven-year-old boy who was very, very, very fidgety. This seven-year-old boy was um, kicking his, swinging his shiny black shoes, plugging on his tuxedo shirt. The boy had just begun piano, taking piano lessons, his mother had hoped that to get him to experience the, the, someone the likes of Podolsky to perform with um, such inspiration and such passion, her son would be more apt to practice more, which she had a time trying to get him to practice at all. And they talked the entire day about the etiquette of how good little boys behave at such a concert. However, once seated, the mother turns over to speak to her friend, and this little guy uh, shimmied out of his seat down towards the stage and makes his way up onto the stage. And his lights sort of begin to flip on and off, telling everybody to come and sit down to the concert's getting ready to begin, to get quiet. Everyone's attention grew to the stage, and they saw this little boy sitting there, swinging those little black shoes back and forth right there at the piano. Chaos grew. 
The mother started shouting for the boy to, to get down here right this second. People began to laugh. Other people began to yell at the boy, at the mother, at the ushers to get that boy right down there that right second, scared and unsure what to do. The boy does the only thing he knows what to do. He begins to play the song that he knows by heart, Chopsticks. With that, people began to yell louder or laugh louder. And chaos began just to get higher and higher. And Podolsky heard this, and he, and he rushed out to see the storm brewing in his midst. Without saying a word, he walks onto stage, and he approached the piano, and he gently placed his hand on the boy's shoulder. And he leaned over, and he whispered to him, Don't stop. Then with his arms around him like a, an air hug, he began to play along with him, filling in the harmony. Don't stop playing, he kept whispering. Don't stop playing. You're doing great. Keep going. Keep going. You're right. You're right here. I'm right here. Just play. Just play. Stay with me. Stay with me. Everything will be okay. That's the story of our life. These six verses. These three questions. A story that has been resolved on the cross, a story of chaos and a story of fear. A story of God wrapping God's arms around you and me. Standing beside us amongst the storms. Redirecting our fear and changing our lives. All the while whispering the oldest promise of God. Do not be afraid. The chaos? Chaos is no match for me. Have faith. 